0: Well, it's St. Patrick's Day. Anybody? Everybody wearing green? Anybody get pinched this morning? I read some fun facts about uh, St. Patrick on our way uh, to, to church this morning. Um, St. Patrick was born where? Anybody know? He, he was born in Scotland, right? Yeah. He, he, he's got an interesting uh, a, a story. He was uh, kidnapped. By Irish barbarians at the age of sixteen and taken to Ireland and and enslaved and and uh, worked as a shepherd there for a number of years. Uh, Saint Patrick's uh, uh, autobiography is is fascinating and it, it starts kind of right there at sixteen with him getting captured. But it starts with these words. Here's the first line of his autobiography. He says, "My name is Patrick. I am a sinner." That's a pretty good start. Uh, uh, he uh was given this like vision from God of how to escape from uh, uh, captivity and and uh, made his way a couple hundred miles to the coast and made it back uh to Scotland and then became a priest and had this burden for missions work. He wanted to become a missionary. And where did he become a missionary to? back to Ireland. Right. That's why he's famous for uh uh his missionary work there in Ireland even though he wasn't uh an Irish dude, which is uh, interesting. He his goal, his desire was to see this this pagan country converted. And it was dangerous and the king of Ireland didn't really want him there. Eventually though, uh Patrick succeeded and the and the king became uh, a Christian and uh, he's credited with with really helping Ireland become more civil. And uh, he's credited with a lot of things, and I don't know if he really did drive all the snakes out. Uh, I'm not sure if if that was a thing. But he did bring this this love and this hope and this truth of Jesus to a place that needed it. Uh, Interesting, he's not actually a a saint. Uh, He was never canonized by the Catholic Church, but he's still uh, known as the apostle to Ireland, and, and everybody still calls him a saint. So he's he's still a pretty cool guy. Uh he died on March 17th uh 461. That's that was when he he passed away. So that's why uh his uh, uh passing is commemorated by the church. The the uh Patrick is uh is kind of a Catholic dude. And back in the like 1700s, uh, because there was a lot of, uh, I don't know what you, tension between Catholics and Protestants. Uh, Protestants began to celebrate a dude named William of Orange. And instead of wearing green, they would wear orange on St. Patrick's Day. Is anybody wearing orange today on purpose because you're super reformed and you don't want to be Catholic? No, because you'd get pinched, right? You're smart. You know what we live in. Uh, St. Patrick had uh, a, like a like a suit of arms and on it was written this that I'm sure that you will see on Instagram and Facebook all day long. But this is what it was, was written on his uh, breastplate said, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right and Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down and Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, hopefully that's that's our desire for our lives too. Uh, we're going to finish off the book of Acts uh, this morning. If you if you could turn in Acts to chapter twenty six, uh, Acts ends with a cliffhanger. Really, it ends with Paul, who's been arrested, spent a number of years in prison, and uh, at the end of Acts, he is in house arrest in rome awaiting to hear what his fate is going to be and luke doesn't tell us what his what ultimately happens we know from from history that that uh, paul was eventually uh, killed by by nero but uh during his time there in rome under house arrest he wrote most of the epistles that uh that we have in the rest of the the new testament uh Paul's mission, Paul's goal, his desire in life was to share the gospel. And that was a mission given to him by Jesus Christ himself. When God called Paul, God, God t- said, This is my chosen instrument. And, and I've chosen him to to carry my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to all of Israel. And I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. So Paul knew from the beginning that it was going to be a a difficult journey. And Paul has, like we've seen as we've studied through Acts, he's gone to the Israelites, he's gone to their synagogues, he's explained from the Old Testament how it all points to Jesus Christ. Paul has faithfully witnessed to, to those Gentiles and seen a number of them come to faith in Jesus. And it's through this next part, his arrest and multiple trials, that he's given the opportunity to do the other thing that God said he was going to do, which is bring the name of Jesus to rulers and to kings. Paul's arrest was, was, was weird. Uh, he comes back from his third missionary journey. Uh, he goes to Jerusalem. James, who's kind of like like the main guy there, uh, tells Paul, listen, we got to be cool. The, the Jews, they need to see that you don't totally uh, dismiss everything that they believe in. I need you to go uh, do some purification rites at the temple with these other dudes. Paul says, sure, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. I don't want to cause any stumbling blocks. I want to be able to continue to, to share with them. And so, so Paul goes to the temple, uh, does the purification rites. But, but at the same time, there's this other Gentile guy who's from Ephesus that's in a place he's not supposed to be in the temple. And everybody thinks that Paul brought him. And so there's this big huge riot. Everybody gets mad at Paul cuz they think he brought this gentile guy in and Paul didn't even do it. He's not even guilty of it, but it doesn't matter because a riot breaks out and Paul is right in the middle of it again and and they and they're, they're trying to kill him. Fortunately, the Roman governor steps in and protects Paul, saves him uh, from from being killed. And in chapter 22, Paul has one last chance to address this this angry Jewish mob. And and when he does, he tells them his story. He tells them about how he was raised a Jew, how he became a Pharisee, how he kept the law, how he persecuted Christians, about how Jesus appeared to him and blinded him on the road to Damascus and about how God had instructed him to go and to tell everybody about Jesus. And Paul says, I'm simply being obedient to what God has told me to do. The next day, a uh, Roman governor brings Paul before the, the Sanhedrin, which is like the Jewish... Uh, court system made up of Sadducees and Pharisees. The Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. The Pharisees do believe in resurrection. Uh, Paul gets in front of that group and says, hey, the only reason I'm here is because of my hope in the resurrection. And then Paul just stands back and watched those two groups fight. (laughs) It's hilarious. (laughs) Another huge fight breaks out that day. And... Paul has to be again protected from this angry Mahab that wants to kill him. And there's some Jews that, that that day vow, we are not going to eat anything until Paul is dead. That's how angry. That's how serious they were about taking care of this guy. And so to protect him, Paul is, is snuck off to Caesarea. And he's placed under the charge of Governor Felix there, and he spends two years there, just kind of hanging out in prison because Felix can't figure out what to do with him. He's not guilty of anything. I can't, I can't put him to death. But it makes the Jews happy that he's locked up here, so I'm gonna keep him here. It says that Felix was kind of waiting for Paul to bring a bribe in so that he could let him go, but Paul never does. Every time Felix calls Paul in to talk to him, kind of like, hey, you know, you could go if you, gave me some money. Paul just wants to talk about Jesus. He's not even interested in leaving. It talks about how Paul has all of these opportunities frequently to share Jesus with Felix. After Felix, uh, a guy named Festus takes over as governor. Paul gets to again share the gospel with him and he can't find any reason uh, to, to kill Paul. He doesn't know what to do with him. and So finally King Agrippa comes to town and Festus says, all right, Agrippa, I've got this weird case of this guy named Paul. I don't know what to do with him. And Agrippa thinks, oh, that sounds interesting. I want to talk to him. Let me me hear what he has to say. And so here in chapter 26 of Acts, we find Paul getting a chance to share his story, his testimony, to bear witness of what what Jesus had done in his life with King Agrippa. I, I, I want us just to... A process through that. So if if you got it, uh, Acts chapter 26, I'm going to start in verse 1. Agrippa says to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Again, Paul smart. Starts with a compliment. You're so wise and smart. You know all these cool things. <laughs> so then, all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem, since they have known about me for a long time if they're willing to testify. That I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. And now I, I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. The promise to which our 12 tribes hoped to attain as, the, as they earnestly serve God night and day. For this hope, O King, I am being accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people. If God does, raise the dead. So then, I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but I also, when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. While so engaged, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O King, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me, those who were journeying and those who were journeying with me, and when we had all fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Get up. Stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained... uh, help from God I stand to this day testifying both to small and great stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place that the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I utter words of sober truth, for the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for he has not This has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian? Paul said, I wish to God that whether in a short time or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. Wow. What a testimony, right? What a witness. And I love I love that last part the best. Agrippa says, "Really, Paul, you really think that you're going to convert me? Like you're going to you're going to make me a Christian in in such a short amount of time?" And and Paul's answer is kind of, yeah, absolutely. I don't care whether it's a short time or a long time or whatever the time is, I want everybody who hears my voice to be just like I am, except maybe except maybe not wearing chains. That would be nice. Paul's mission every single day, whether he was rich or poor, whether he was free or in chains, whether he was in front of the Jews or the Gentiles, was to share the Gospel. God was the one who was in charge of setting up this... the the appointment and giving him the opportunities. And Paul understood that it was his responsibility to bear witness. During that time, towards the end in house arrest in Rome, uh, Paul writes these instructions to the church at Colossaea. Colossians 4.2, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned, that I I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. And he says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Those instructions are, are for us too, right? Like we get that, that Paul is writing that to us. And, and for us, knowing where that's coming from, knowing who's writing it, understanding the context behind the writing, Paul imprisoned, like that, that should make those words carry a little extra weight. Paul asks them to pray for him. He asks for, for open doors. And then he asks for the ability to speak boldly and clearly. And then, and then Paul encourages them to be wise about those who are outsiders who are unbelievers. Make the most of all the opportunities that God gives you, and He will give you those opportunities. And speak in a way that's gracious. That's, that's loving and caring and kind. and That's going to be preserving like salt I think, I think sometimes sharing our faith for us is an intimidating thing. Uh, for me, this passage is encouraging because it helps me see that, that the whole sharing our faith, bearing witness, isn't just a scary thing for me or for us. I think it was even for Paul. I think there's a reason why Paul asks for prayer for these specific things. Boldness. Clarity. I think if, if I were to take a poll of everybody here and ask you like the reasons why it's hard for you to share your faith with others, you would say, because it's scary. It's intimidating. And because I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to say. And I'm afraid that I won't have the right words. It's almost like we need prayers for boldness and for clarity. We need the exact same prayers that Paul asks for. What I want what I want to do uh, this morning as we as we uh, uh, think through Paul's bearing witness before King Agrippa is just maybe help us with a little bit of the clarity piece. Cuz I think Paul offers a simple method for sharing faith that we can follow. And I want us to be ready when the opportunities present themselves. I want us to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Paul's uh, evangelistic message to King Agrippa, really it has three basic parts to it. He starts off by explaining who he was. I think that's where we need to start when we're bearing witness of our faith is explaining who I was before. He talks about his life b- before Jesus. That's where we need to start. My, my my daughter Lily was asked uh, a month or so ago to share her testimony uh, at a chapel at, at Woodland Christian, and she wasn't really scared of the standing up in front of people and talking about it part, because she likes that part. She's, she's an actress. She likes to be in front of people. So that wasn't the hard part. Uh, the, the thing that she struggled with more is like, well, wh- what do I say, like? I've never been arrested. I've never done drugs. I, I don't have this like testimony of how God rescued me from this horrible uh, situation. I... But do, do like super compliant and obedient and nice and polite pastors' kids, do they need Jesus too? Yes. <laughs> do they need to repent and place their faith in Christ? Abs- absolutely they do. Do they just they just automatically get like a like a pass into heaven because pastors dad's a pastor like no no, that's not how any of that works Uh, and I think I think sometimes the testimonies that we hear more often that are like somebody being saved out of some really difficult situations uh, make it seem like good people don't need to worry about it like they don't they don't go to hell like they're okay they don't need Jesus. But Romans 3.10 reminds us that no one is righteous. right? Not even one. Whether you've got this giant mountain of sin in your life, or, or just a tiny bucket of it, it doesn't matter. All sin separates us from a holy and perfect God. Paul's testimony when he talks about his past, a lot of it he's talking about things that he considers, or his Jewish audience at least, would consider to be good things. I was born a Jew and I was trained as a Pharisee. I was a part of the strictest sect. We kept all the rules. We did everything right. I even went so far as as to zealously defend God by persecuting Christians. Christians. At least I thought I was defending God. Did did Paul, as someone who devoutly followed the Word of God as given in the Old Testament, and and as someone who, who strived to live a righteous life, did Paul need Jesus? Absolutely he did. Does the nice guy who loves his wife and never kicks his dog and is always friendly to the neighbors, does that person need Jesus? Yes. Does the person who has struggled with drugs and sin and selfishness and all kinds of messy things in their life, do they need Jesus more than the good little pastor's kid? No. The same amount of Jesus is needed. Why? Because like Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All all of us. And what we deserve because of that is is death. Separation from God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin. What we earn because of our sin is death. Now, I grew up uh, as a... F- Firstborn, fairly good. My mom's not here, right? <laughs> uh, like I was a good woodland Christian school kid. I never did drugs or anything that was all that bad. But when I was about 13, I realized that, that I was sinful and selfish and prideful, and that, that separated me from God and that I needed Jesus. When you're sharing your testimony with others, it's okay if you don't have some dramatic, messy background, you still aren't perfect. You still were separated from God who's holy and who is perfect. You still needed Jesus. And I think that's something that people need to hear. So don't be afraid to share who you were. Second, we need to talk about our encounter with Jesus. Right, that's what Paul does. Paul shares about his experience with Jesus, which is pretty dramatic. Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus in this blinding light. Asks him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Don't you find it hard to kick against the goads? Which I think is interesting. Paul's uh, Jesus is telling Paul, I've been trying to get your attention. I've been gently poking you in the rear end with the goad, which is a sharp stick, right? Trying to get your attention, get you to move, but you keep kicking at it stubbornly. Isn't that hard? Why, why do that? So Jesus has to, has to use a little bit more dramatic approach with Paul. And I think maybe there are some of you that relate to that, right? That can understand that, that if you look back in your past you can you can see those times where God was gently poking you in the rear end with a stick, like come on, man, that's where He brought situations or people into your life that were trying to point you in the way that you were supposed to go, but you were stubborn and you didn't see it and you didn't get it and he finally he had to just kick you in the forehead, right Did, Anybody have that kind of testimony <laughs> all. All of us, though, all of us, uh, 100% of us who are genuine born again believers, every single one of us in this room who was actually saved and sealed and headed for heaven, all of us have a story that we can tell about our encounter with Jesus. Everyone. For some, it's Jesus was someone that I knew from the day I was born, all growing up. For some, Jesus was somebody that I first learned about uh, when I was at a really low point in my life. And for others, I didn't really come to understand who Jesus was and what He meant until I was older. But all of us who are believers can talk about Jesus because there is no salvation. There is no conversion. There is no Christianity. There's no Christian. Without Christ, and and I know for me, like as a good woodland Christian schoolboy, I knew about Jesus and I knew verses about Jesus, and I, I'd I'd heard the name a lot. Just like I don't know, maybe some of you who've come to church here, you're going to hear the name Jesus a lot, but I, I don't know if I ever really understood or ever really knew Him. But there came a point when, when like the weight of my sin became real, and this amazing gift of forgiveness and love was, was so beautiful to me. And, and that, that offer of salvation that Jesus gives, it sank down deep. And, and with tears, I came forward at an altar call and gave my life to Jesus. In Romans 5.8 it tells us God demonstrates His own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that if if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved for with the heart man believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation, which is not that hard of a process, right it seems almost too easy sometimes like just just just, believe, just confess that Jesus is Lord, believe that God really did raise him from the dead. And then through that act of repentance and trust and faith in Jesus, we get to be saved. Like that's it. We're forgiven and everything's cool and we're good with God. That's it? Yes, you're right. That's grace. That's why grace is so awesome. That's, that's the gift that we receive when we encounter Jesus. And I don't want to assume that everybody here in this place has, has done that, has an actual relationship with Jesus. It's possible that you know about Him, but don't really know Him. And if that's the case, I want to encourage you to spend some time with Him. Whatever that means, like figure that out. Maybe that means you come and and talk to me or Fred or somebody after church and ask about it. Maybe that means you just spend some time in prayer. Maybe that means you open up the Bible. If you don't know where to go, open up to John chapter 3 and just read all of chapter 3. About halfway through, you'll get to John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And that's the... That's the famous verse, but it's in the context of a guy named Nicodemus having an encounter with Jesus that left him changed forever. Do whatever you need to do to have that kind of experience and encounter with with the real Jesus. Take time to actually stop and, and, and say it. Make it official if you've never done that where you tell God, I believe, I believe that Jesus is God and that He did rise from the dead and that He has forgiven my sins and that that sacrifice was for me. I confess it and I believe it. A lot of, a lot of our testimony as we're, as we're sharing with other people about our Christianity and our faith, that a lot of it's really going to just be telling them about our encounter with Jesus. Why Jesus is so awesome. What He's done for us. You don't have to be some great theologian to do that. Really, you just need to tell your story. and Then, we need to tell people how we changed. What difference that made in our lives after that. Paul tells, uh, after his encounter with Jesus, things change, his eyes are opened. He better, uh, better understands all the promises that God has made in the Old Testament. He's given a new, a new mission, a new purpose in life. His mission now is to go and tell everybody about what God has done. Paul, this guy who was filled with anger, he admits that he was just furious, so filled with pride. So filled with self righteousness, now he's transformed into somebody who's filled with love and compassion and humility. There should be something that we could tell people about about what that change, that transformation, has done in us. Uh, for me, uh, I don't want to brag, but uh, Woodland Christian, my eighth and ninth grade year, I won the prestigious. Most improved student award, so <laughs> right yeah uh, but i I think what happened is that at that point, I had a real genuine desire to honor and to serve and to obey god and 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 that transferred to a a, a greater respect for uh, my teachers and my parents and other people around me. Now, did I still act like a teenager and sin and make mistakes and do stupid things and Make my parents cry, yeah, I, I, I still did. I, I still do. Uh, nobody's perfect. But there's, there's a desire to serve and honor God that was born there that never waned. It just kept growing. And, and I've had to endure some things in my life, I had to I had, I had to go through the passing of my father and the death of my brother and some personal illness. And, but those things they haven't shaken my hope or my confidence in God because I know that there is a God who is there and who loves me and who's in control and who knows what He's doing and I can trust Him with everything. And I'm able to live a life that's just filled with joy and hope because of my relationship with Jesus. Have you found that sometimes it's hard to explain that kind of a hope and confidence and joy that we get from a relationship with Jesus to people who've never had that, who don't have that, who don't, how does, how does a relationship with Jesus make you a more joyful, more content, more happy person? Like that doesn't even make sense. To some people, and it's and it's sometimes kind of hard to explain to people who don't get it, who've never experienced it. But that's part of what we need to try and do. It's just to help people understand that that kind of peace and rest and confidence through all of the difficult things in life is possible. It's it's there. It can be theirs. Paul here is the ultimate example of someone who takes advantage of every opportunity that God has given him to tell people about Jesus. He talks to Jewish people who are like him. He He talks to people in other countries. He talks to men, to women, to important people, to poor people, to kings, to guards, to everyone. And and his approach is to simply tell people who he was and then what his experience with Jesus was like and then what changed after that. And then offer them that same awesome gift. We can do that, right? You and I can do that. We don't have to be St. Patrick's or... Or Paul's to do that. Evangelism doesn't have to be some weird, awkward, forced thing. Just just tell people about your encounter with Jesus. Uh, if you need a little help in your bulletin along with uh, Romans Road and John 3.16, I gave just a little guide to help you think through some questions that help you explain to people who you were and what your encounter with Jesus was like and, and how that a- affected you. Go out there and be witnesses to everyone who needs to hear about what God has done for you. God, I do thank you for the work that you've done in our lives. I thank you that you have changed us, that you've saved us, you've sealed us. Thank you, Lord, for those people that that uh, were bold and clear in sharing Jesus with us, and that through your Holy Spirit you've opened our eyes and brought our dead hearts back to life so that we could know You and have a relationship with You. Thank You that through Jesus, all of our sins have been forgiven. We're Your children. And that through all of the things that this life gives us, the the good and the bad and the ugly, You're there. You're with us. You love us. We can trust You. Help us, God, to be able to go out and share that truth and that hope and that joy with others. I pray in Jesus name amen